0: Good morning. Good morning. This is episode seven of the Early Birds podcast. And today it is 625 AM. and We have Sean Carter, our vice president of sales here at Nextdoor Lending. Also a good friend of mine. Does a lot more than just sales. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing excellent, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. So listen, one thing about Sean, guys, is Sean is one of the most positive human beings I think I've ever met in my life. And it's funny at first, when you meet someone like yourself, it's uh, it's a lot coming at you. And you never know, like, if it's, it is, right? And you never know if it's like real. And I'm trying to figure you out, you know, when you first came here, but it's 100% you, man, and 100% authentic. So walk me through that positivity. Has it always been like that? Has it changed? What kind of got you into that mood constantly?
1: Yeah. So when I was a kid, you know, I grew up really poor and there wasn't a lot of positive things. And, you know, my family was. Not the most positive people. You know, it was always something that was wrong. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, there was an epiphany when I was 12 years old. Okay, I was in my bedroom. I remember it like it was yesterday. I just got back from a baseball tournament from Bay City. And actually, Doug, Doug was at that tournament. And uh, we, we had no food. We were, we, there was really nothing to eat. It was hot as hell. Everyone was negative. And I just remember sitting there, and I, I actually started crying. And I said, I'm never going to be this way. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do things in my life that put me in a situation where this feeling will not happen moving forward. So I don't know. It was like an epi- it was like a you know aha moment for me. You know I didn't want to be a negative person. I didn't want to look at the bad things because there were so many bad things, and I just focus on the good things. I literally always look at things in a positive manner because at the end of the day. I believe there's only two things you can control, which is your attitude and your effort. And that's kind of the genesis of where it happened when I was 12.
0: And and that's crazy. You know, you talk about your vivid memory and I know that thing is super, super dialed in to where you remember Colors, you remember shapes. Oh yeah. How is how has that helped you? To be honest, um, with your career and what you've done, and even kind of going, like being able to go back, kind of pull some of those memories, extract them, and bring them to fruition, even when you share your stories here. Yeah, it's like it really is weird. Like I remember things that are vivid memories
1: from when I was three, four. I remember my my third birthday party. I remember the 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 Little Caesars pizza, how they used to have it in, you know, where you'd rip the paper off and it was pizza, pizza, <laughs> you know, like I remember so many things about my childhood. And I just believe that when you have a conversation with somebody that it's important to internalize that information. So like I always tell people, listen, if you tell me something, you have to mean it because I'll never forget it you know, um, it, it it just sticks with me. So I've always been that guy. And it's reciprocal too. I always believe that, you know, if I tell you something, I'm going to deliver 100% of the time because I believe that you've taken that information as well and you've stored it because it's important. Every conversation to me, John, is important. So mm. I, I store that information and I could tell you conversations you and I had back in the day that you wouldn't remember, mm-hmm. um, but but they
0: are important to me. So that's how I store them. And and that's that's the energy. And for the, for those listening, this is this is how he is nonstop. Um, this energy that you're that you're feeling that you're seeing. This is six thirty in the morning. He's been here way earlier than six thirty. He got up at three forty five today. Yeah. And the reason I say that is, um, look, the, the early birds podcast. This is about waking up early. This is about your grind, staying focused. And when I say wake up early. I know there's people that work the night shift. So your version of early, right? It doesn't mean if you start at 5 in the afternoon, so are you waking up at noon to get your day started, right? That's your definition of early. And so the reason I bring that up, Sean, is you, you, uh, you're a family man, right? Mm-hmm. You have uh, how many kids now? I have three kids. Okay, uh, three kids.
1: Sebastian, Chase, and Kennedy. My, my wife is Amy. And uh, yeah, I have
0: a big family and your wife she she's got a, a wonderful career as well. Yep, she she's is, an attorney she's an and, attorney and Kicks
1: ass doing that. she's an awesome person and um, you know for me, like waking up early i I it drives my my wife crazy because like even on vacation we'll go on vacation. I'll get up super early. I'll still hit the gym and she just wants me to sleep in. Why don't you sleep in you know but a habit to me isn't you know, a habit is a habit always. Mm. It's not just like Monday through Friday or mm. Monday through Thursday, and then I'm going to go to happy hour on Thursday and Friday. It's it's all the time. So Saturday, Sunday, I, that doesn't change for me. I get up super early. Typically, I'm in the office at the latest on Saturday at maybe 445, at the latest, um, I just believe that those habits really keep my structure and keep my discipline. It's important to
0: me. And, and those habits are what I love the most about you. And You know, it's funny. I, I've worked very hard. Um, I'm a man that tries to not make excuses I'm a man that tries to get it done. And even, you know, when you got here, you helped me even get back into the gym more, uh, than I was prior. And I was always making excuses, you know, for myself and saying like, oh, you know, I'm working so hard Company's yeah. growing, you know, and then you come in, you know, guns a blazing. You have kids, so no one can give you that excuse, right? Because right. I've heard that before. But, John, I have kids. Wait till you have kids. That's right. my favorite. Wait till you have kids. Then I see a guy like you. You come in. You're all jacked up. You're ready to go. Your diet's dialed in. You work till 10 o'clock. You're grinding. What do you say to people? And I want your version of it, right? Sure. So don't hold back on this because yeah. I know how you are, so I want the best version of it. What do you say to people that that give that bullshit excuse? Because I know what you've told me, and I'm curious what you would tell other people.
1: You know, what I would tell – first of all, I – You got to lead by example, right? So that's number one is a lot of people talk a lot of shit, but, but you could see right through it. They'll, they'll see it with me. You know, I, I used to tell your brother all the time, you know, your brother references a conversation I had back in the day where it's like, yeah, you're always the same. Like you say, I get to the gym early. I, here's my diet. Here's my meal prep. It is always the same. And what I tell people, listen, man, you can either make excuses or you could demand results. You know, and for me, like I, everything is an excuse that gets in the way of your goals. Goals matter to me. They're, they're tremendous to me. And I don't give a fuck, excuse my French about what's going on in my life. Life is life goals though. They don't change. All right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what's going on for me. My daughter hasn't slept in months. She's eight months old. She's teething really bad. She gets up every 45 minutes. That's That doesn't give me the excuse to come in here dragging ass. It doesn't give me the excuse to not hit the gym, make sure my diet's mm. clean. You know, as a leader, I'm a leader of my family. I, I, I'm a leader here. I believe you have to be a leader everywhere. You know, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good leader. All of those things are important to me. So that's why my discipline is my anchor to making sure that I'm
0: doing everything I need to do to be the best example. Demanding results is a beautiful thing. Uh, I love that. Very powerful. Um, You know, you talked about leadership and I've, I've got to obviously witness what you're capable of, and it's incredibly impressive, but I know that your journey hasn't been the easiest of journeys. And so in regarding your leadership journey, What what has that been like in regards to learning how to understand and work with people that are different than you? Because not everybody's Sean Carter. Yeah, you know, um, to be as transparent as possible, I was the
1: worst leader in the history of mankind (laughs) when I started. Um, I led with the stick. I didn't get to learn about people. I was very hard on people, loud, just obnoxious. I look at me back in the day, and I would have punched me in the face. I would have hated working with me. As I've gotten older and more mature, I realize that the biggest thing about leadership is understanding that everybody is different and everybody needs something different. The conversation you and I have versus you and somebody else can be drastically different to get the same results. And you have to be dynamic enough as a leader to understand that. Um, I love people. I didn't always love people. You know, like our people are the most important thing. It's the lifeblood of our organization. It's the lifeblood of our life. And the reality is we need good people and good people need to be developed just like you and I need to be developed every single day. So for me, I started off as a lunatic. I got better and better. Um, and now at, you know, I'm 41 years old. I, I, I believe that my journey has got me to a point where I'm very proud of my emotional intelligence. Whereas before I was
0: very ashamed of it. I love that, man. Uh, and, and Rami, listen, Uh, I know you're listening to this. He's our our video guy making the magic happen. You're going to want to snip this one, all right? So listen, fear and competition are the two weakest forms of leadership. And I learned that from my mentor, Stephen Luigi Piazza. And I asked him, I said, why do you say that? He said, well, John, when you're in a position of power, it's really easy to instill fear into people because you control their job. Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, that's that's pretty strong. That's true." And then I said, "What about competition?" I said, "Steve, I'm I'm really competitive. Like I'm a grinder, I'm competitive." He says, "No, no, no. You're not understanding me. It's great to be competitive." But he said, "There's going to be a time when the people on your team are all veterans and they've all made money and they're not going to be motivated by the competition. So if all you can do is get people riled up around a competition month in and month out, you're not going to do well." Right. And that's always sat with me and I and I asked him, "Okay, what about the two best forms of leadership?" And he said, cooperation and collaboration which is being able to understand work with other people with an open mindset and you've really brought that here to to our company and I know you did it prior when you were doing insurance as well that culture that culture that openness that communication that direct line the way you speak you are so straight to the point right so one of the things you'd love to do is you call it fervor yeah absolutely and people have heard it the fervor trade What is fervor and what does it do to culture? Because I've been hearing that about you for six, seven years. So, you know, culture,
1: culture to me is like a revolution, you know, it's like a snowball that builds. Okay. And fervor is the ultimate culture. Fervor is, is culture to the hundredth degree. Fervor is when everybody's fired up. Fervor is when you have a buzz. Fervor is excellence you know and when you think about having fervor it's just having a joy for what you do you know fervor is doing push-ups fervor is helping clients fervor is making an impact like i get goosebumps thinking about that stuff you know when you think about a culture and something that you want to be a part of i want a culture that's fervor i want a culture where people care i want a culture where people are showing up and want to win i want a culture where people want to help people
0: um that's fervor and you know it's it's the thing with you that I I love man and we've gotten to know each other more and more with that fervor train and the culture that's not just you here in the office that's you at home oh yeah without a and, doubt and, and I have heard you tell these conversations so here's here's my question especially I'm, I'm not married right I, I don't mm-hmm. have kids I have a very very serious girlfriend um who is absolutely incredible and I, I know it's gonna, you know, propel into something more and more, but I'm not in that spot yet. We don't have kids yet. So for you, with a communication aspect, when you when you have here everything that you're dealing with and all the stress, and I know people don't know that stress, it's different. Right. How do you go home, see your three wonderful kids mm-hmm. and your wife, and how do you communicate to her that that this is the lifestyle that we that I need in yeah. order for me to su- provide and support the family in the best way possible. How do so, you explain that? So first of all, that's a great question. and I'm so glad you asked
1: because I've talked to a lot of people about this. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing people I, I've had this conversation with so many people, okay? You can't just be good at work and then your family Mm. gets the back burner. Mm. And I've seen, and and me personally, John, I've done that before and and it's hurt my family. You know, I'll share a scar with you. For the first two years of my son Sebastian's life, I'll be honest with you, man, I I was an absentee father Mm. and it does still bother me to this day. And I made a decision at that point that no matter what goes on in my business life, because I am goal-driven, I am... I do want to do really big things, but I'm never going to sacrifice it for my family. Yeah. So the first thing that I do is I spend one-on-one time with all three of my kids every week and my wife. So I'll give you an example. And it, it's at least an hour, but it's one-on-one, it's no phone, and it's just us. So my wife and I go to Lifetime Fitness. Mm-hmm. The kids, they have the daycare there. We spend an hour together. We work out Saturday and Sunday, and we talk. We work out and we talk, and that's our one-on-one time. My son Chase loves to go to the park, loves to go to Tigers games. I'll do that with him. Mm -hmm. My son Sebastian likes to eat, so we'll go, you know, to Coney or something or go get some ice cream and we'll talk. And my daughter is so little, but I'll take her to run errands and, and things of that nature. So that's number one. So I don't sacrifice the time with my family. Two is I don't ever bring my work home. So if I have a bad day in the office, which isn't often, but I'm a human, I do have bad days, they deserve my best, just like you guys deserve my best. So when I come home, it's not a situation where, honey, I've had a horrible day. Get these kids out of here. I can't wait to see my kids. I can't wait to hug and kiss my wife. I'm very happy to be home, and I'm very present when I'm home. And that's really important because I don't have a lot of time with them, but the time I am with them is I'm very, very present. So... That's two. And the third thing is we always keep our goals in front of us. That's the biggest thing. So when my wife and I talk, my wife knows that at 52 and a half, I'm done. That's it. Like we got this plan. Um, Our dream is to move to Naples. That's our favorite place in the world. We love it. Uh, We have a cabin in Caseville. So we'll be like snowbirds. Like we keep our goals in front of us. We talk about like these amazing things that we want to do together. And that kind of keeps us going. So I think those three things really like we're all a team, you know, like my wife and I are teammates and this isn't all about me. So when she needs something from me, we have that open line of communication where she can say, listen, I need a break. Okay, cool. I'll take the kids. Go
0: out and enjoy yourself like you deserve it. So we're we're in this together there's a lot of good stuff there um, especially for for me to hear one of the things uh, that I don't do a good job is is leaving my work here mm-hmm. and when I go home and I I can I can see how that can be stressful on somebody else right because're you're, you're bringing your everything here back home and right you don't know what they're dealing with right their day especially if she's at home with the kids or her work got stressful oh yeah you don't know what that's like so that's a really really good tip you talked about being present and that is hard for a lot of people. My Myself being one, I'm I'm always trying, I'm always thinking ahead. And even sometimes I'm in meetings, you know, and I catch myself right. two years down the road already in my head and I'm come back to, and I'm like, oh my God, what the hell, what are we talking yes. about right now? How how has that been? I Especially with you, because I know you're high energy and you're always thinking about what's best always. in your planning. So I know that brain is working. What, what did it take for you to be in the present? Yeah. So my
1: ADD is bad. Yeah you know, (laughs) we've talked about as, as all of ours is. Uh And I used to get feedback all the time. Like I'm always moving on to the next thing. Okay. That's not necessarily the best thing. Um, when I'm with my wife and my kids and we're together, I'm with my wife and my kids. And what I mean by that, if I'm playing basketball with my son, I'm playing basketball with them. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not messing around. Like I'm present in that moment. If I'm talking to them one-on-one, I'm present like we're looking each other in the eye and I'm talking to them. That's important, you know? Mm-hmm. And bringing your work home was me to I mean I was the worst, dude. The worst. And they don't deserve that. That's not fair. You know? Mm-hmm. They they have stuff going too. They have needs too. They have they need care too. And it's my job as the leader, I consider myself the leader of our household, I need to lead by example and I need to show that my emotional intelligence when I leave here that they are the most important thing in my life. I need to show them that. I always say, words are cool, but actions matter, you know? And um, I I just want my actions to always show that I care. I also sacrifice things that I like to do. So I'm a sports fanatic. I used to have season tickets to everybody. I'm a diehard Michigan football fan. Um, I, I don't do it, you know, because at the end of the day, my family is more important than my needs. So I just, I I do whatever I can to show that every
0: single time I'm with them. I I love that. And thank you for giving us insight into that family life, right? I think that's something people aren't comfortable sharing sometimes, like the the truth and the reality. So I I really appreciate you going into that. So I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Um, Difficult conversations, uh, crucial conversations, Mm -hmm. difficult ones this is something that's popping up a lot more lately, especially in our industry in and in the, in the real estate industry. For those that don't know, um, obviously the real estate market has been very volatile, uh, especially mortgages with interest rates. So a lot of fluctuation. So you're dealing with a lot of mindset. You're dealing sure. with a lot of tough conversations. How do you handle those? And then my second question is to you, how did that change from when you first entered leadership to now? Yeah. So I'll answer the second question first. So
1: When I used to, I used to not be open to any of those conversations. Okay. (laughs) Like I was the last guy you would go to. My team used to go to Doug. Yeah. (laughs)
0: All
1: right. They wouldn't come to me because I just, I wasn't open to it. I looked at it like, oh, you're making excuses. You're weak. You're weak. You know, like I don't want to deal with this. Okay. Um, As I've gotten older, you realize this is exactly how I deal with it because I do have them a lot. Number one is I listen. I shut my mouth and I actually listen. I look them in the eye and I listen to what they have to say. Mm. Two is Mm. I gauge their emotional intelligence in the conversation. If somebody is very, very emotional, it's typically not the best time to have a tactical or even a real conversation. So I'll listen to them and then I'll table it and I'll come back. And it's a situation to where it's like, okay, hey, John, First of all, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I appreciate it, dude. And I'm with you. I said, right now, you seem like, you know, you're a little bit emotional. And that's cool. I get it. Let's table this till tomorrow. Put it in the calendar. Let's talk then. Mm. And let's come up with a solution regarding it. So I've learned to like gauge the emotional intelligence of the human. Because when you're super emotional, you're not making logical decisions. And quite frankly, you're not even open to 100%. it. 100%. You know, so if somebody is open to it, then let's have a conversation. Let's figure out a solution in terms of how we can get you to the next step. Um,
0: but yeah, that's the growth in me is just gauging that in- emotional intelligence. I, I love that. And God, I wish I wish we can spend more time, you know, talking about it because what you've done and the way you open people up to being more comfortable with you is so incredible. And I just want to give just a, a little context to, to what what you're doing over here. So, Sean Sean came in from a uh, insurance company. He did mortgages prior, and then he started his own insurance company. Was top what percent? So top three percent in the country. Top three percent in yeah. the country in a very short period of time because of his discipline and his effort. He wanted a new challenge. He didn't have to come over here, especially in the mortgage market. He had something very comfortable going on. I won't get into how much he was making, but he was doing just fine. And then he comes here, and he jumps into a leadership role right away. Now, on the mortgage side, guys, jumping into a leadership role is very difficult because usually when you're dealing with a lot of type A personalities – they want somebody that's organically grown, right? Somebody that's produced uh, here within the organization that they've seen kind of grow through the trenches. So with Sean, we placed him right into that leadership role. And it <laughs> In was <the> fire, baby. <laughs> it was quite a journey. We talked about the first two weeks oh, being yeah. so damn tough for you. Sure. And a lot of people coming at you, right? You're, yeah. you're kind of hearing it behind the scenes, sometimes oh, yeah. to your face. How do you put aside that ego? When you're coming into a situation like this and you're like, no, 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 these are good people. Yeah. They, they're, it's a misconception because they're great human beings, right? right? They don't, it's not like they mean bad. They're just a misconception of me. But how do you put aside your ego and just like, hey, listen, I'm here to embrace you. I want you to know I love you. Yeah. And you're going to love me. It might not be now, but I'm going right. to get there. How do you do that? So it's difficult. So I'm not going to sit here and say yeah. it's easy. Oh, yeah.
1: It is very difficult. Um, two is I'm a very logical thinker. I understand completely where they're coming from. You got a guy that came in who has a reputation for being a hard ass who didn't do this mm-hmm. and now you're going to tell me what to do. Like I get that. Yeah. You know, I totally get that. So my mindset was to take the bullets and <laughs> and but more importantly to prove my worth. And I'm a big believer that you have to I don't I don't want anything handed to me. I I want to earn everything. You know, I expect nothing, I earn everything. And th- that was my mindset, John. I just had to earn their trust. I had to earn the right to have tougher conversations. I didn't earn it at that mm-hmm. time. It wasn't my time. No. You know, and I also was empathetic in the respect. I didn't understand where they were coming from, even though it sucked for me, but I got it. Um, and emotionally, intelligence wise, I was like, okay, I just need to kind of weather this storm. But more importantly than that, I need to prove my worth. And that's how I looked at it from that point forward. And it was to to be oh, as transparent as possible. Even like the first month, it was really tough.
0: <laughs> oh, honestly, I know I took a hey, for, for the first time. I think a month in, I saw your face go from that smile to yeah, it wasn't a frown, but it was more <laughs> of a straight face. You know, oh, like yeah. what the hell is going on oh, right now? for Sure, <laughs> that's the best part. Um, you you know, earning it, um, earning that seat at the table. I I um. You know, man, I've told you already your face before, but I'll tell you again now, you have done nothing short of impressing myself um, with your effort and your attitude and the way you are and earning that seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Part of earning that seat at the table is knowing your role yeah, and realizing that in order for us to grow um, as an organization, you play uh, your, you know, you play your part. I play my part. Doug, Natter, everybody here plays their part. When you have the type A personalities all working together. Yep. How 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 can you set it up to where people can play their role? And then how do you get somebody to understand that, look, stop stop stressing out about not being on the TV. Stop right. stressing out about not being the number one person, the go-to yeah. person. This is all for one common goal. How do you paint that vision and structure everything?
1: Yeah. So it's difficult in terms of people that have our personality mm. because no matter what, no matter how emotionally intelligent you are, you think you're the best. <laughs> Always, <laughs> That's right? That's um, for all of us it it I think it 's taken us at least for me, like being here, I feel like we 're in a really good group, yes, and that took four months, and there 's a lot of trust, so to answer your question, how do you get to that point? Well, how do you get to that point? is you have to trust mm-hmm. that other people are going to execute their part, so the first thing is you have to relinquish control because mm-hmm. we 're all control freaks, yes, sir, and we want to have our hands in everything but you realize the bigger picture is we can't grow, we can't scale, we can't do these amazing things with our tech with with our company and our brand if everybody's doing everything. Yes, we have to be able to trust people in their position. So that's number 1. 2 is when you trust, now you got to deliver. There you go. The people that are doing their jobs, they got to actually do deliver. Their job. Yeah, you know, do your damn job. You're right. So you're not in a situation where it's like, because you start building that animosity, like, all right, well, he's not doing this, you know, and then and then that causes noise and dissension. And when you have noise and dissension in Type A personalities, that's what I call the not the fervor train. That's the poison train. You know <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the opposite. Of that. Yeah, it's really bad. So when you have people that all are doing their thing and doing them well and they're executing and they're communicating on a high level, it takes time. Like, the biggest thing is it just takes time, and I, I genuinely believe that our group, we are in a groove to where we're getting to where we need to be from a trust and
0: execution aspect. I really believe that. You know, there's a, a book by Peter Lisioni, I believe, and it's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, mm-hmm. and the way the five dysfunctions work, it's kind of this pyramid on how to build the perfect team. The The last top of the pyramid is results, but the bottom layer of the pyramid is trust, okay? Okay. And that bottom layer, what it talks about in this, this book is it goes through the journey of a, of a CEO. She enters Silicon Valley and she's working through kind of building this, this team structure and how to, how to make it work. And it goes through all the different things that she has to deal with. And they go through that first layer of trust. And throughout the, the conversation about trust, they talk about the animosity and she goes through ways that she addresses the animosity amongst her group because she knows it's important because if she doesn't. Well, to your point, guess what happens? They're talking behind your back. Right. They're not trusting you as the leader. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is all the executive team, by the way. So I think of our executive team. Right. If, if I don't agree with a Sean Carter, and I don't say it to Sean Carter, but instead I go to Doug, who's another partner of ours, and I just say it to Doug. You know how dangerous that is from an animosity standpoint? Yeah, big time. I'm going to start hating Sean Carter. Right. And Sean Carter doesn't even know I hate him. Right. That's the worst part. Yeah. You don't even know I'm mad at you for, and for what reason. You yeah. think everything's going smooth. So, why do people avoid those conversations? They're uncomfortable. So uncomfortable.
1: You know, uh, they really are. Um. So, I met with, with our team and I told them, I, I believe this with my entire heart, that 99% of situations, can be handled with a conversation. Mm. I, I really believe that. I, I, I tell my wife that, I tell my kids that, like, let's just talk it out, you know? Because the, you, the more you let it linger, the more it pisses you off, the oh, more yeah. you're thinking about it. It's like, I, I address I address things real time, okay? So if something pops up that I feel like, okay, let's, let's talk, like, it needs to be addressed real time. And it also needs to be addressed in a way that you're actually having a conversation. And that's really key is you're not, you know, you suck and I hate you yeah. and all this. Like you're actually talking, talking it through like like human beings. And I think that's really, really important for us as a team and uh, for our entire sales team, our marketing, all of our processes, all of our team and for our executive team is not to do that stuff because that is poison. Like if you have an issue with somebody, most of the time it's such that they're small it's issues. So there's so it, it's, it's never so anything stupid. grudging it's just just talk it out, yes. get on the same page, and then I'm a big person like, let's move forward.
0: You know? 100%. Well, listen, we're, we're wrapping up on time, so I'm going to ask you uh, one last question that I sure. love asking everybody, and I'm, I'm really excited to ask you this question. So 18-, uh, 19-year-old Sean Carter. Yeah. All right? I know your memory is very, very oh, strong, yeah, I so I want you to story. think about an 18-, 19-year-old yeah. Sean Carter, and I want you to think about a 41-year-old mm-hmm. Sean Carter. What's something that a 41-year-old Sean Carter – would tell an 18, 19-year-old Sean Carter?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you a story that you're going to love, okay? When I was 18 years old, I was in Mr. Avezai's English class. I remember the exact seat I was in. I remember the lighting in the room. It was dark. He never had the lights on. There was a radiator on the left side. I was in the last row, third seat. And I found out how much teachers made. I was going to go to college to be a teacher. And it was like $30,000 a year. And I had a calculator, and I was doing the math. And I was elated. I was like mind boggled mm-hmm. at how much money that was because I grew up so poor, and <laughs> I'm thinking, I myself, this is amazing, you know. And when I went to college, what changed my life was I saw a sign that said, "You never make money unless you move money," and it like kind of changed my life. Um, the 41 year old Sean would tell the 18 year old Sean to not sweat the small stuff. That's, that. that was the biggest thing that was a detriment in my life was everything to me, John, was big. It didn't matter what it was. It was big, okay? If, if you spoke to me wrong, it was big. If I didn't get an A, it was big. If I had a shitty sports day, it was big. You know, if my kids were crazy, it was big. Every fight was big in a relationship. Everything was big. Mm-hmm. And now I put everything in a perspective that, you know, most things aren't big. Most things are very little, and I only address the things that, are in, that I believe are important, and I don't sweat the small stuff, man. Life is too short. got it. Life is. is too short, and I used to stress out all the time over the dumbest stuff, and that's the biggest advice I
0: would give my younger self. Sean, thank you very, very much, sir. Uh, this is episode seven of the Early Birds podcast, and for those of you listening at home, don't sweat the small stuff. I promise you it always gets better. Focus on what you can control. Focus on your attitude. Focus on your effort. And if you say something to somebody, as Sean said, just follow through with your actions. And I promise you everything else works out. Have yourself an incredible day. Take care.